Good morning, everybody. Hey, hey we're, it's Christmas season, right? Here we go. Christmas cheer, joy. I just got to put it out there because I can't let it go. Um, for the first time in the history of me pastoring, thank you, Lynn. My zipper was undone and she caught it and thank you. Not that anybody noticed he caught it. <laughs> thank you, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jansen, as well. Jansen's always got my back. I'm so grateful for that. That would have been very distracting uh, for the next 30 minutes or so. But we're nearing the end of our study through the letter of Galatians, in which we've titled Stay the Course, which means that throughout these past months, we've been reminded to stay on track of the gospel because everything depends on it. Because the gospel alone is what brings us and keeps us in a right standing with God and sets us free from the shackles of legalism on one side and licentiousness on another. It keeps us from being tied down by the shackles of ethnic prejudices and cultural hierarchies in order to live a spirit-infused life of Christ-like character and self-sacrificing love in the midst of all our diversity. But as Phil did so well to remind us last week we're all in a great battle for that, a battle with the flesh, which in our passage today manifests itself in how we view and treat one another. There's an old Irish ditty which goes, to dwell above with saints that we love, oh, that would be glory. But to dwell below with saints that we know, well, that's another story. And we all chuckle that because we've heard that before, many of us, because we know that if we've been following Jesus for a period of time, we know that that sentiment is sometimes true. Relationships are hard work in the church. Can I get a witness? So if this is your first time here in church this morning, welcome. We're not going to try to fake it. We're in process and we're at work. We're working it out. Amen? But I used to be staggered by that because when I first became a follower of Christ and became a member of a local church family, I've only been a part of two local churches, one back in Michigan and one here. When I first became a part of a local church family, I naively thought that this thing called relationships was worked out and for the most part, everyone just got along with each other. That we were all saved by grace, we all were reading the same Bible, We all have a future hope, Lord willing, going to the same place. And we all have a job to do in the body of Christ. But then I was stunned to find out that that wasn't necessarily the case. Not only did people have issues with one another, but a great revelation came upon me. That I began to have issues with people too. Come to find out, I too at times was losing the battle. I too at times wasn't walking in the spirit and viewing myself and others in light of the gospel, which is the moment any relationship begins to pull apart. And the moment that we miss out on being all that we were meant to be for one another. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to start out in verse 25. And then we're going to work through chapter 6, verse 5. Seven verses this morning. If you're using one of the house Bibles that you got on the way in, it's going to be on page 567. Page 567. And as always here at Park, if you're a guest here with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, make sure to take one home with you as a small gift from us. We are so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. Bless you. 
In Galatians chapter 5, Paul has gotten to the point in the letter that if you're a gospel-believing person, then that means that you have Holy Spirit power to turn away from the passions and desires of the flesh and show forth the beauty of Christ-like character in relationship to others. Follow along with me as we begin in verse 25, which you'll also see on the screen. You got it up there, guys? Thank you, Andy. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The title of my message this morning is very simply, Competitor or companion. Let's pray. Father, now we come to the moment of the service where your word is on center stage. And Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that your work would do the work that you said it would do, that it would open us up Cut us up. Reveal what's in our heart. And that you'd come and bring healing. Father, much is at stake in this passage. And how we view ourselves and how we view others. And so I ask, oh Lord, Holy Spirit, would you do a work in our heart, shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus. Our great calling, our great mission within ourselves. And the more that we're like him, the more effective we are showing him forth in front of a watching world. So may we just enjoy great fellowship now together under the banner of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to work through our text this morning in three points. And the first one is this. Walking in step with the Spirit keeps us from being self-absorbed. If the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, that is, if you are living by the Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit, then this is what's going to be happening or should be happening in your life. And if this is not happening in your life, then you have to ask yourself the question, do I even have the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, he's at work pointing you to Christ, he's causing you to yearn for Christ, and he's making you more like Christ. Is that happening in your life? In your situations in life, in your journey on this side of glory, is, are you sensing you want to set your gaze on Jesus? Do you, are your affections, are you yearning for him? And are you any different this year than you were last year? If you're keeping in step with the Spirit, go ahead and keep in step with that, which is a military term which encourages us to stay in formation. Keep the line and don't veer off the path. A nation's armed forces sometimes perform what's called a military parade. 
And for those of you who've been in the military or have family in the military, you know what I'm talking about here. Sometimes they show it on television. Nations show this so their country can see or show off their military. It's where a muster of troops are brought together for inspection to see how well they've been trained to follow orders. To see how precise they march to the beat of a single drum. And when done well, it's a demonstration to the onlookers of the military's unity and strength. Because when the audience observes the soldiers moving together as one unit, they feel confident in the military's ability to protect them. And oftentimes, that display of togetherness and unity, it causes an uptick in new recruits because they want to be a part of that. Even in all of a nation's diversity in their military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, when they're all working together because they're all in the same fight. And that makes a lot of sense if you think about it because, I mean, if you were considering to join a branch of the military who is presently involved in a war, you wouldn't feel very confident if something was vividly unorganized and it appeared that some of the units marched to a different drum. You wouldn't feel very confident if the Air Force was just kind of flying off on their own mission. What's that terminology got to do with us, Paul? Well, it's simple enough. I think we all see it. It's obvious. Paul's masterful in this. If together we march to the beat of the Spirit, rather than taking orders from the beats of the flesh, we'll continue to grow more and more in Christ's likeness in all of our diversity and put on display our togetherness to a watching world. And we may find that other people are eager to join our ranks too. But we have to recognize those drum beats of the flesh so we don't fall out of formation. And Paul gives them to us in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Let's define some terms. This was not fun to go through and get opened up myself, by the way. To be conceited is what the King James Version of the Bible, that version, what they translate, it's the word vainglorious. It's to have a perceived absence of honor. And because, and because of that, you have a deep desire to prove your worth to others. It's an ugly word, right? You don't want to have the conceited sticker stuck on you. Nobody wants to be known as the glory hound who always feels the need to elevate their importance above others, which is where conceit is usually first spotted, right? It's in provoking others. To provoke is to challenge someone to a contest. He walks into the room and he sizes up the competition. It's kind of like when I go to the, the gym to play basketball. And before we get ready to play, usually what happens is is I come and I put my basketball shoes on and I kind of get warmed up. And it takes me a little longer these days to get warmed up. I get on my shoes and I start dribbling on the court and I go get some shots up at the other end just to kind of get warmed up. And it's at that moment my assessment begins. I'm paying attention because I'm about to play, you know, and I still got to prove my worth, you know, at 43, you know. All right, okay, cool. He's six foot eight. All right, I'm going to have some trouble with him. I'm not going to guard that guy. I actually want him on my team because when I throw him the ball down low, everybody's going to collapse on him. 
And if he's a really good teammate, he's going to pass it back to me. And I'm going to be wide open for a shot. And then there's the guy, Kevin knows this, Jamie, we know this, who walks into the gym and he's got all the gear on, you know. He's got his new J's on. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The Jordans. He's got the new Jordan 11's on, you know. Everybody went crazy for them last week. He has all the gear on. He looks the part, but you can just tell this guy doesn't have no swag at all. He's not a player. Because when he's getting warmed up, he's dribbling and he's bouncing it off his foot. You know, it's that guy. But you know what I'm talking about. And I'm thinking, all right, I got to go to work here. I got to figure out here who can I go up against and who can I dominate, you know. Because I got to win because if I don't win, that means I got to sit out for a while and I get cold and I get stiff. And then, of course, I got to always put in there when we have a conversation, when I lose or whatever, you know. I've, sadly, I have did this a few times. Yeah, I'm 43 or I'm like 10 years older than you, 20 years older than some of you. I'm still out here playing with you, you know. I got to get that one in, you know. <laughs> but you get it. It's always easy to see the one-upper in the room, you know. You ought to see how this works among church leaders. I'm in all these different kinds of meetings now. With all sorts of different ministry leaders. And folks get competitive, you know, about their ministry accomplishments. Or their Bible knowledge or people that they know. Or their prayer life. You know, everybody's praying more than everybody else. And just like, okay, awesome. I'm, we're trying to figure this out together, right? And it's all because there's a perceived lack of glory. The provoker cries out, don't you know who I am and what I've done? And so the provoker tends to be easy to spot, but not so much the one who envies. Simply put, the envy is to desire something that belongs to someone else. It may be something material like someone's possessions or their wealth or their good looks. Or maybe it's immaterial like someone's position, their ability, their influence or their success of whatever it is that they're doing. Envy tends to be a little bit more quiet and less disruptive, but there's a boiling on the inside. And often when it shows up, usually when it gets loud, is when it seeks to demean others or make their competition appear lesser. The pretty girl walks into the room, but the comment is, do you see what she's wearing? Did you see how her kids were acting? She's a deacon. Yeah, their church is growing, but they're just all a bunch of consumers all over there. They aren't really sold out for Christ like my church, of course. Ben Dixon only plays six instruments in the worship band. You get it. Provoking and envying, if you think about it, are really two sides of the same coin, and they're both driven by insecurity. Both are competing and marching to the beat of the drum, which pounds, I'm not enough. The provoker says, I have to prove that I'm better, so I'm going to exalt myself above you in this area. 
The envier thinks, I'm lesser, so I'm going to pull back away from you. And the disunity ensues. Now we're getting to the heart. Which side do you have a tendency towards? If you look on the screen, you're going to see some questions to help you to evaluate. And I encourage you to read through these questions, which I'm going to do now carefully. And if you want these, if you want to slide, let me know. Send me an email and I'll send them to you. This has been very helpful for me. When there's a disagreement in a conversation, do you have the tendency to blow up at others or clam up? Do you look to pick a fight or do you seek to avoid confrontation at all costs? Do you look down on other groups of people? Or do you find yourself intimidated around certain kinds of people? When you feel or get criticized or receive pushback, do you get angry and go on the attack? Or do you get excuses? Do you make excuses? Do you get discouraged or give in? Do you often think to yourself, or have you ever thought to yourself, I would never do what that person has done? Or if you look at others and say, I could never accomplish what they've done. Full disclosure, in my flesh, my tendency is I'm a provoker. Linz? For some reason, I just, my flesh and the battle that I have with the spirit is about just proving my worth. I don't know, there's, that's very complex in here, you know, there's all, sort, there's all sorts of various things that contribute to that. But just so you know, and some of you do know me well, that's me. That's my battle here. But we are enough. We're enough. Christmas shows that we're enough. We're plenty enough. We're worth it. And there's a better way this morning. And it's our second point, which is not to see each other as competition, but rather as companions. Helping to restore and carry burdens. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters. This is a family affair here. If anyone is caught in any transgression, that opens, that makes it broad, right? Any transgression. Not just the bad ones. You who are spiritual, that is walking in the spirit. Paul's continuing this should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, unless you too will be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now if I've put this together right, I think this is where Paul gives the counter to the competition that's been happening among the Galatians. Not only individually, but the churches. Because remember, this letter would have been circulated to the churches in that region. It would have been multiple churches. It would just be like sending this letter to the churches of the north side of Chicago. And they were all kind of putting down their stake. Yeah, we're this kind of church. We're better. Oh, we're this kind of church. We're better. And there's divisions and how they were doing church and all of that. And it's just amazing how that so transfers to today. 
And I'm so grateful for this because this is good for us. Because God just doesn't tell us to stop doing something. Like often I do with Dylan, for example. Dylan, stop, Dylan, stop. Stop. <laughs> but he just, God doesn't just tell us to stop doing something, but he gives us the replacement. He gives us the alternative. Don't see each other as the competition, but rather as a companion in the battle against the flesh, our sinful nature, which we are all in. Everyone say, we all in it. You have to say it like that too. You can't say it, we're all in it. We all in it. Well, that's good. We got a little urban. We got a little city this morning. We are all in it. And since we all in it, that means when we see a companion entangled, caught in a pattern of sin that they're having difficulty getting loose from, we who are spiritual should not say, oh, I told you so, or that's what you get, or withdraw. Do the Christian diss, you know. But rather, draw near and walk alongside to restore. What's this look like? There was a young guy who strayed away from the Lord. He just went on a several month binge going back doing the things that he used to do. Smoking and drinking and cheating. Kind of the country song thing. But he was finally brought back to repentance by a friend who really loved him. And when there was a sense of full restoration back into the community of faith, he got back into the church again because that's the last people you want to hang out with as church folks when you're doing sinful things. The pastor asked him, so on this journey, just so we can all learn together, how did it feel when you were running away from Christ and his people? And the young guy said this. He said, it seemed like I was out at sea in a deep, dark water, and I was in deep trouble. And my so-called friends were on the shore hurling accusations of justice and penalty and wrong. Some of my so-called friends just didn't even call me or even seek me out. But there was this one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and would not let me go. And I fought him. But he wouldn't let me go. He pushed aside my fighting. He grasped me. He put a life jack on me and he swam me back to shore. By the grace of God, he was the reason why I was restored. He would not let me go. Cut it straight. Jesus had a story about this. It's the 99 and the 1. And far too often as the church, I know the temptation for church leaders, and I speak for myself and other church leaders, it's, it's all about the 99 the 999 or the 9,999. We got to get them all in, you know. 
the stuff of the church, it's the one. It's the one. Some of you got to give somebody a call this morning. I know some of us are shocked that there are breakdowns in relationships in the church and that people actually do sin, but you shouldn't be. If you've been reading your Bible, you know that all of these letters that we teach through show about how we got to get along with one another and how to be restored after we've fallen. This book that we read that we call God's Word, it's a reconciling, restoring, and redemptive book. It's stories about a bunch of mess that God is at work through himself and his people bringing them back to themselves and to one another. That's what the whole book is about. We're always being tempted to jump out of formation. Sometimes we do jump out of formation. And so we need to help one another get back on track. But how do we do it? To restore is likened to putting a dislocated bone back in place, which if you think about it is a painful process, but it's a healing one. So when you're having to confront someone, and that's what you do in the church, this isn't just like, you know, leave them alone. Confrontation needs to happen in the church. When you've got to confront someone in their life that they may be doing something that is just blatantly dishonoring to God, that is wounding themselves and hurting others, the means to restore them is not to just shame them into some emotional plea or by some emotional plea rather or, and get really just angry about it or just to have this dismissing arrogance like you had never ever fallen to any sin but rather Come alongside him in a spirit of gentleness. And be patient for as long as it takes, just like Christ deals with you to bring restoration. Love comes softly. The truth can be spoken tenderly. One of my favorite verses is said about Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We are much more than reeds and wicks. He came to heal and restore and if we're walking in the spirit, we're going to be a part of that work too. But we got to be on the lookout. We have to keep watch. Paul is adamant about this because we know ourselves, right? Because a spirit-filled person knows that they are just as susceptible to the same kinds of temptations and transgressions that has gotten the one where they are helping to restore in the trouble. Which is further motivation to restore in a spirit of gentleness. Because before the day is done, you may find yourself as being the one who needs to be restored. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. 
Be careful when you think you are standing firm so that you don't fall. Restore. And carry one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. And we all have burdens, don't we? Don't we? Some burdens. Things that wear on us. Disappoint us. Wound us. And are seemingly crushing us. Difficulty with a child. A slanderous false report. A loss of a job. Too much work on the job. Whatever it is, the last thing we need is for someone to come and throw some more weight on the bar. Rather, we need someone to spot us. You got this. God is with you. He's your strength. He's your joy. Let me come help you. I'll help you get it up. I got your back. I'm your brother. I'm your companion. I'm not your competitor. Because I'm a Christian. And that's the big time stuff of the church. When I'm carrying a burden, I don't need a big show when I walk in here on Sundays. I don't know about you. Or I don't need some fluff when I meet together in a small group. I need some help. I came here looking for some help. I'm not looking for someone to compete with when I got a burden and I'm carrying a load. I'm looking for a companion. I need that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Which leads me to say, if restoration is the ongoing work of God's people in the life of the church and we don't know about the sins and burdens of others and they don't know ours, then we're doing this thing all wrong. But if you have a gospel-infused self-image, that you see your identity under the shadow of the cross, and you're walking in step with the Spirit, then you'll be in the business of restoring and helping to carry another's load, just like Christ did for you. Let's conclude now with point number three. Walking in step with the Spirit helps us to humbly examine our own ministry. Look at verse three, four, which brings us back up to the conceited person in verse one. Four, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast in himself will, will his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. You're not going to have the comparison game. For each will have to bear his own load. 
You know, we are all tempted. I don't know about you. It's easy for me to be tempted to just think I am all that sometimes, right? I just think that I am so sweet sometimes. Aren't you all, are you anybody tempted like that? I just think I'm the sweetest thing, the hot stuff, man. And I don't know about you, but I need to get cut back down the sides. And I'm grateful for God's word, you know. Because I feel like this is one of those passages that kind of cuts you down the sides, you know. Reminds you of who you are. A stewardess once asked past heavyweight champion Muhammad Ali to sit down and fasten his seatbelt as they prepared for takeoff. Well, Superman don't need no seatbelt, he objected. To which the stewardess replied, Superman don't need no airplane either. (laughs) She's quick. That's quick. Let's get this straight. And it's okay. Apart from the work of grace, we're all nothing. I know that's not like, a counterculture to what you hear out there, you know, where everybody gets a participation trophy and all that stuff. I'm still trying to figure that out. You earn that thing, you know, you know, right? And you got to, you know, it's always good stuff, you know, never about what's really true, you know. It's, it's just doesn't, that's not helpful. What ability, influence, resources, relationships, or responsibilities do we have that we just didn't receive from the Lord? It's all from him, and frankly, it's a miracle that anything divine could be produced through us anyway. It is a miracle. Of course, yeah, we play our part in stewarding those things and to try to be faithful, but it all comes from him, and he's the one who determines the outcomes of it all. He can give it and take it away in a flash. So let's not deceive ourselves into thinking that we're above and beyond others, which is, again, so counter to the cross. It doesn't make sense. But rather, may God help us to get our eyes off of what everyone else is doing and get our eyes on Christ, humbly examining our own faithfulness in light of the responsibility that he's given us and in light of the judgment to come. Paul is getting really straight with us here. This is, other mo- this is other motivation. That's what Paul is saying when he says, each one will have to bear his own load. It's a different, lo- it's a different load. It's a different word from when somebody's got like the burden on them. It's just like cargo on them. And so you got to come and give help. But we all have our own backpack to carry. We all have responsibility that we in ourselves have to carry. And we have to keep that future in front of us that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus and we're going to give an account. I haven't heard that in a while. You are going to give an account of your ministry. It doesn't matter if you have a position title or not. That stuff is out of there. Because God has gifted you. He's given you things to use to serve one another in the church and to serve the world. And you have a responsibility in your sphere to steward it and be faithful to it. It 
And you're going to be accountable, not for anybody else. It's going to be your work. Not only what was done, but also what was left undone. And if we're really examining ourselves in the light of that, it'll keep us from being conceited. And we'll have compassionate eyes to go give people a hand. Dear church family, we're all called to serve in various ways. And in various spaces. Just because it's your call doesn't mean it's another call or someone else's. And we're called in these different ways in various places and spaces in various parts of our city. Why? To bring the gospel to various people who dwell in those various spaces so Christ can get all of his glory. Because he came for everybody. And he has to have his people in all of those places. Drawing them to himself so he can get all of his glory. Every tribe, language, people, and nation, every class, every class, from the top all the way down and from the down all the way up. And every culture, and every color, he has his people in all places in the city doing their work, and they're enlisted to work there and do it. You're going to be held accountable for that, not what somebody else is doing or not doing. So don't be a competitor. Don't bog down the movement in the church and what God is doing in and through us. But rather be a companion. We're all a big family. And we're all desperate for grace. We all at times carry heavy burdens on top of our personal load. So that's why God has given us the church. Merry Christmas. What a gift the people of God are. What a gift. I hope you've opened it and are experiencing more and more of the best that it has to offer. But if not, I hope that you're hanging in there on the journey and you're offering that grace that you received. Because Jesus, by his spirit, will give you the power to make it happen. So give your best to Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful this morning for your word. You always speak to where we're at in our lives. We're so grateful for the gift of Jesus this season. He was the substitute that stood in our place. He was the ransom that paid our redemption. He's our conqueror who cast out the enemy of our souls. So we could be yours. We're your children. And so, Father, I pray that you continue by your spirit. That we would have an atmosphere of companionship and togetherness and unity and great forgiveness and great patience. Those things of the spirit that you offer to us when we're walking in step with the spirit. May they be evident in our lives, I pray. 
so that the world may know that there's a people, there's a family who they can come be a part of and they'll feel safe coming to you with all of their burdens and all of their cargo because there's a people who's going to help them carry the load. And so, Father, I pray that you do that work in us. Help us, I ask. We need your help and we're expectant. In Christ's name we pray, amen.